We are deep into a teaching series here on my Sundays. This is part 12. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, specifically in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, so far in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've said that this passage is really about God's value system in his kingdom. Now, some of you know when I'm in a series, um, I like to take the first few minutes uh, each week to kind of do a flyover of where we've been to kind of catch you up and give you some context. But just for the sake of time today, I'm going to skip the review, uh, except to say that the last two messages, uh, we've been in Jesus teaching on prayer in what we know as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. We've said that everybody uh, prays, but that almost everybody gets frustrated with prayer. So we asked the question, what if prayer is not a button to be pushed, but is a relationship to be pursued? And we talked about our tendency uh, to come to prayer with our list. You know, so we turned that uh, upside down a couple weeks ago, and we talked about the list that God has for us in prayer. And we asked, what do I need? Where do I need forgiveness? And whom do I need to forgive? And the thing that we just keep coming back to as we're talking about prayer is that prayer is not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. And sadly, an awful lot of church people uh, see prayer as a button to be pushed. It's kind of like, okay, if we can just get a bunch of Christians to come together and pray for this specific outcome. Uh, if we pray the, the right way and if we pray often enough and if we pray hard enough, and, and I've heard people say that to me and, and I'm praying really hard, you know, and I don't even know what that what that means. But if somehow we unlock the combination, you will get to push the button and we'll get the outcome we're praying for. That's where we tend to go with prayer. Sometimes that happens. And most of the time, it doesn't. And maybe the reason that you've gotten frustrated with prayer is because some of the things, some of the big things that you've prayed for haven't turned out the way you wanted them to turn out, the way that you'd hoped that they would. Because if you see prayer as a button to be pushed, something that you, <coughs> that you press whenever you need something from God, if that's your approach, you are always going to find yourself becoming frustrated with prayer because prayer is not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. So we've been working through what is known as the Lord's Prayer. We've been kind of been working through line by line. And we said that these words, these lines that we're so familiar with, are so much more than what we tend to reduce them to. The Lord's Prayer is an invitation. It's an invitation to so much more, and it's an invitation to something bigger. And even if we know that to be true, at some point along the way in our experience with prayer, at some point, you're going to get frustrated. So today we're going to talk about why you get frustrated with prayer. And you might even be starting to do some of the things that we've talked about in this teaching on the Lord's Prayer and using the Lord's Prayer as a guide in your prayer life and approaching it as an invitation to something greater. Uh, but at some point, just going to warn you right now, you're going to get stuck. And here's where you're going to get frustrated. In fact, when I show you this to you, those of you who pray regularly, you're going to go, oh yeah, I know, I've been there. Maybe I've been there for a long time. And if we were to audit our prayer lives, we would find that we spend a lot of our time just frustrated with the lack of resolution about this one question. Maybe you used to pray, but you don't pray anymore because you get stuck here, so you just stop praying. So I propose to you that the most perplexing question in prayer is simply, Why? Why? Why, God? 
why is my relationship the way it is? Why did my life turn out this way? Why did this person reject me? Why did this person die? Why did this person, uh, why was this person not healed? Why can't I ever seem to catch a break? And maybe you're stuck here and you're frustrated because you keep asking God this question and God doesn't seem to want to answer that question. So for some of you, maybe the reason you used to pray and at some point you stopped praying is because God didn't give you a very good answer to that question or maybe ignored it altogether. It's kind of a, kind of a universal thing that we all struggle with. And we all struggle with some questions, all right? Um, I struggle with some questions. I've struggled with some questions these last few weeks, these last couple of months. I mean, haven't you? So I put together a list of some questions that I would love for God to answer. <coughs> these are questions that are very perplexing. And just about the time that I've settled into uh, an acceptable answer, something happens, maybe a layer comes off, and I want a new answer. So here are three big ones just to put you at ease, uh, just so that you're okay asking your questions. I want to let you in on my questions, okay? Number one for me is why do children suffer? I mean, as adults, a lot of times we do things to ourselves that make our lives kind of complicated and even miserable. But why do kids, I mean, innocent children, why do they suffer? Oh, number two, God, why don't you just end sin already? Because if sin is the thing that separates us from God, uh, if sin is the thing that's breaking down marriages, if sin is the thing that makes the world the way it is, then God, why don't you just put an end to it now? And the scripture says that eventually he will end it, but just not right now. So my question is, why not now? What's he waiting for? <coughs> and then number three, it's one of the tough ones, is one of the big ones. Uh, why doesn't broccoli tastes like ice cream. I mean, seriously, think about it. This is, this is, I think, is the best question ever. If broccoli tasted like ice cream, would we not all be healthier? So that's a big one for me, obviously. Anyway, a few years ago, I did a whole series on uh, uh, eight messages that were based on questions that you submitted. We called it Big, Hairy, Audacious Questions, or B-Hacks for those insiders. Uh, if I remember right, it was in the summer and fall of, of 2015. And we talked a lot about this that when we don't get the answers we think we need, we think God isn't answering our prayers. So we've convinced ourselves, and I don't know why, that he answers spiritual people's prayers. He answers like the pastor's prayers, people who know how to pray with all the prayer language and all the right terminology and stuff. I'm sure he answers their prayers, people who pray really long flowing prayers. And maybe the reason you stop moving forward in your faith journey, maybe the reason you're not growing right now, maybe the reason you find yourself stuck, maybe the reason you're still on the outside looking in is because you're frustrated, because you're convinced that God doesn't answer your prayers. So I'll be honest with you, there have been times when I've wondered why God doesn't answer my prayers. Why isn't he listening and answering this particular prayer? And maybe you've said that too. But when we say that, I think what we're really saying is God doesn't answer my prayers my way. Because we have a certain way that we want our prayers to be answered. Because we're like, you know, God, you, what you need to do at my work is you need to get my boss to retire already. And they need to offer me a promotion or at least a raise. And if you'll just solve that for me, then I'll have a good work life. Or what you need to do in my family is I need you to change my husband or change my wife or change my parents or change my kids or change my ex. 
And financially, you know, God, if you'll, if you'll just give us a little bit more money, that would pretty much solve everything. And God, you're not answering my prayers my way. And I've got a way that I think the universe should run. And if you would run the universe the way that I think uh, I would run it, I think uh, I wouldn't have to come bother you with this stuff as much. And so much of the time we're frustrated with prayers because God isn't answering our prayers our way. And sometimes it's frivolous and we make light of that, but sometimes it's about really important stuff. Sometimes someone gets really sick. Sometimes someone we love is on their deathbed. Sometimes a marriage is in trouble or a marriage ends. And it's times like that that we tend to get disillusioned with prayer because we tend to think, well, God isn't answering my prayer. And what I mean by that is he isn't answering my prayer my way. And then prayers stop making sense. And life stops making sense when, when you know, a couple things happen. And, and, and you're, you're probably not going to be crazy about this first one. But first of all, uh, one of the reasons that life doesn't make sense is because you are not God. And we know this is true, but man, we live our lives like we've forgotten it. And we do tend to forget it sometimes. We forget that we're not God because we're not. And so when we talk to God and we're like, well, I want an answer, we need to remember that sometimes we're not fully capable of understanding the answer. Sometimes that's the reason why he's withholding an explanation because we don't have the ability to understand it. And it's not because, you know, you're stupid. It's not because you're not spiritual enough. It's because we're not God. God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts and he's at a different level than we are and our comprehension is limited and it's tainted by sin and even when we think that well I've been a Christian long enough I've been in church long enough I've read the Bible enough times I should be able to perfectly understand the mind of God we can't because we're not God and another reason that life sometimes doesn't make sense is because God isn't done He's not done. And the way that I pray, the way I pray is, is I want this now. Like, I want this answer now. How often do we go to God with a request and like, I'd like an answer sometime in like in six weeks would be great. No, we come to him and we're like, I'd like an answer now or by the end of the day or maybe by the end of the week, for sure before next Sunday. In fact, your life and your existence, you were, you were born into like the middle of a movie Ever been surfing through the channels and maybe land on a movie and it's right in the middle of the movie? Maybe it's 30 minutes or 45 minutes in and something there caught your attention and you started watching it and it's interesting and it's kind of engaging, but you can't quite figure out what's going on because you don't know like who's who and how is this person related to that person? How does that thing factor into this part of the plot? And it could be a great story, but you're missing some of the plot line because you can't access it because you missed the beginning. So you don't have all the context. You don't know how it's going to end because you're not there yet. So in life, we might be like, well, God, I, I want resolution now. I want some answers now. I want a response now. I want you to act now. And God knows that we may have lost sight of the whole story. We may have forgotten about the events that got us to this place. And God knows for sure that we don't know how much time he has to work on this thing that we've brought to him. But our timelines are always immediate, right? And we're impatient. But God isn't done. He sees the big picture. So number one, you're not God. I'm not God. Number two, God's not done. And our understanding about what God is up to is going to be limited by those two realities. Just, that's just the way it is. And then if you really want to shake things up, throw this into the mix. Ask yourself, do I really believe that God is good 
And do I really trust him? Because a lot of us, even those, those of us who call ourselves Christians, sometimes we wonder if God is really good. Sometimes we look around and we're not so sure. And if you don't believe God is good, if you don't believe God can be trusted, that's where our faith can go off the tracks. Because we're like, I know I'm not God. I know you're not done yet, but I don't know if you can really be trusted. So I just, I guess for now in this situation, don't completely trust you. I don't trust you with this. I don't trust you right now. The Bible's filled with passages that show us that God can be trusted. A lot of the stories in the Bible are about the idea that God can be trusted. But surprisingly in the scripture, God doesn't always answer the why question. He certainly doesn't answer it with a what. And that's what we're looking for, right? Why did he uh, die so young? Why is she so sick? Why is this relationship so difficult? Or, or, you know, uh, or you know, because of this happening, because of that happening, we see something here and this affects my life. So I want this, this answer to this question. Uh, but he, and that's what we're looking for, right? We're, we're, but I'm not sure that even the answer would satisfy us because we still think we want the what when we ask why. But that's just not how God answers. He doesn't answer why with a what, but with a who. And what do I mean by that? Well, what we want is an answer, but what we need is a person. We, we want an answer. God, tell me, explain it to me, explain it to me, show me. But God knows that we need a person. We've been working through the Lord's Prayer, and we're almost at the end. And remember last time we barely had enough room to get our list in, right? You know, here's what I need, here's what I want. And then Jesus takes us to confession, you know, and to forgiving people who have wronged us. And so for just for sake of review, and so not to assume that everybody's familiar with what we're talking about, let's read these verses in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 9. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the last time we were in verses 11 and 12, give us today our daily bread. Then I use the New Living Translation for verse 12. And forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. So that's where we've been. Uh, we, and if you missed any of these uh, sessions in this series, I re encourage you to go uh, to our website, uh, listen on our media player. Uh, you can actually watch, watch the messages there or subscribe to the podcast. But look where Jesus takes us now, verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or your Bible might say, the evil one. And then in the Protestant tradition, uh, we added this, and uh, this might be what you're familiar with. We added, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So check this out, verse 13. It says, lead us not into temptation. So does God lead us into temptation? Let's talk about that. And we could debate this uh, for a few hours and look at, of what all the theological scholars uh, have to say in their commentaries, but the simple answer is God doesn't tempt us, but we probably will be led into temptation, okay? <clears throat> you could say that temptation will find you. I mean, you may have been tempted already today. And I don't know how this works for you, but when, when you're tempted, do you turn to God? Because for most of us, the answer is not usually. But Jesus says, Father, take us out of temptation, lead us away from temptation, and deliver us from the evil one. Jesus knows that what we want is an answer, but what we need is a person. And God gives us a person, and his name is Jesus. And if that's an unsatisfactory answer, I'm asking for a little grace here, because when you really let it sink in, I think you'll find that it's more profound uh, than it initially sounds. So we have a person, his name is Jesus, and he's with you. 
if you invite him to be the Lord of your life, the center of your life, his Holy Spirit lives in you and through you. And in light of that, it changes the way that we pray. It changes the way that we approach prayer. It changes our expectations of prayer. So as we look through the scriptures where uh, we're given some in instructions on prayer, there are a couple guidelines. Number one is that we are to express desires, not demands. Because if you treat prayer like a button to be pushed, uh, it's going to lead to a lot of frustration. We've talked a lot about that. And instead of telling God how to run the universe or even how to run our world, right, uh, let's come to him in humility with an awareness of who he is and who we are and acknowledge that you're higher than I am. You think differently than I do. You have more complete information than I do. You're God, I'm not, and this is my heart's desire. <clears throat> and secondly, and Jesus modeled uh, this for us, pray not my will, but your will. Jesus, about 24 hours before his death, he's praying. And here's the thing, like Jesus has seen crucifixions and he knew it was a horrible way to die. And Jesus knew that was to be his fate in about 24 hours. And remember, he's fully human as well as fully divine. And he's on his face before God, sweating blood, praying, if there's any other way, if there's any way for me not to die this way, I'll take that. But not my will. Father, your will be done in my life. It's a great prayer for us to pray, to say, not my will, your will. So that's one step, and it's a big one, but it's only one step. The next step is now, what is your will, right? Ever gotten hung up on that one? And, and that's another sermon or another sermon series for another day. But number three is focus on the giver, not the gift. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get mesmerized by the gift. So here's a question. Do you love what God gives you? Because we've prayed those prayers like, right, like God, give me a better fill in the blank, give me a better car, give me a better house, give me a better job, give me a better spouse, give me a better this or that or something. Do you love what he gives you or do you love God? Do you love what God gives you or do you love God? Because there is a difference. And if you really want to grow, oh, if you really want to wrestle with this, read the book of Job. It's kind of a long book in the middle of the Old Testament, so it's a, it's a commitment to read it. Uh, but as you're reading, ask yourself, do I love God or do I love what he gives me? It's a tough question, it's a tough answer to face up to sometimes. See, when we focus on what God gives, we miss God. Because what we want is an answer, but what we need is a person. And God provided the answer for us in the person of his son, Jesus. And when we accept him for who he is and for what he's done on our behalf, when we invite him into our lives and we lean into him for our salvation, when we choose to follow him and we acknowledge him as our savior and our Lord, we will find him to be all the answer that we need. So here's what we're going to do for a minute. <clears throat> we're going to pray. And since we talked about confession a couple weeks ago, then right where you are, if you're in your living room with your family or you're sitting at your computer with your spouse, we're going to confess our sins, all right? And if you're watching alone, you can do that right on the chat for everybody to see. I'm just kidding about all that. Never mind any of that. But I really encourage you to take some time today, right after church, before lunch, press pause right now and go do it right now if you want to. Take a few minutes to get by yourself. Maybe go for a walk. Take some time to connect, to come to God in prayer. Don't play any music. Don't put on a podcast, but just in the silence, 
Spend some time with God to pray, maybe silently, quietly in your heart. Maybe sit in the silence. Let your mind be quiet for a few minutes before you start to put your thoughts into words. And right now, I'd like to pray for all of us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the invitation to approach you as Father. Sometimes it's hard for us to accept that you want to relate to us in such an intimate way. Today we profess that we believe that you are good and we trust in your goodness. We confess that we've often approached prayer as a button to be pushed. Lead us to approach this experience as a relationship to be pursued. We're bringing our desires to you. We just want to bring these things that are close to us. But in doing so, we're surrendering them to you. We're asking that your will be done in our lives. We confess our sins. We're grateful that you're faithful to forgive our sins. Show us where we need forgiveness. And then, Father, show us where we need to forgive. Give us the courage and the humility to forgive. And Father, we declare that your name alone is worthy to be praised. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For the next few minutes, I just want to uh, address one thing as it relates to prayer. <clears throat> I just want to address this because I just kind of want to warn you, even if you decide, okay, um, I'll try this. I'm going to use the Lord's Prayer as an invitation. I'm going to start by acknowledging who God is. I'm going to pray about things that are bigger than my little life and my wish list. But I promise you, at some point, your best intentions are going to get shipwrecked. And even if you're saying, you know, I, I'm taking prayer way more seriously than I ever have before, there will come a time when you will get stuck. You get stuck on the circumstances in your life because circumstances aren't working out the way that you want. A relationship is falling apart. Money isn't coming together. Your kids are drifting further than you hoped they would. The job is a dead end. Someone got bad news from the doctor. At some point, your prayer life will become a steady diet of those kinds of things. And it's not that we don't need to pray about that kind of that. We shouldn't pray about those kinds of things. No, you absolutely need to pray about that. You absolutely need to bring that to God. But prayer can become a series of your worries directed to God. And for many of us, if it's left unchecked, prayer becomes worry in God's direction. You ever think about that? So let's just be honest. How many of you have worried already today? You've probably already worried about something today because we're worriers. We worry about our kids. We worry about money. We worry about all kinds of things, things that we care about. We wake up worrying. My wife and I have talked about this because <clears throat> I don't worry a lot. I just don't. There isn't a lot that keeps me up at night. Maybe it's because I just love sleep so much. I don't know. But we've talked about this because... I wanted to make sure my assessment, assessment of myself was honest and accurate. And we've concluded together that, no, I don't worry much. But since then, I've been thinking about it, and I'm kind of worried that I don't worry much. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I don't worry enough. Uh, what does that say about me? Is, am I a completely uncaring human being? Don't answer that. But I tell you what, if we were to audit our prayer life over the years, for some of us, prayer has become worry in God's direction. And we know that the reason we worry is because of our circumstances, right? If our circumstances were all going right, if everything was going great according to you, you know, to your kingdom, your way, God, this is the way you should run the whole universe, 
If it was all going that way, we wouldn't worry. We wouldn't have to, but life rarely works that way. So our whole prayer life can become a steady diet of worry in God's direction. And this is what I want you to remember. Just remember this because you're going you're gonna to look at your circumstances and you're going to start praying about your circumstances. And here's what we need to remember even as we pray about our circumstances. We need to remember that God is bigger than our circumstances and He's better than our circumstances. And the reality is when we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by our circumstances, when we are overwhelmed, we naturally worry about our circumstances. And when you worry, you pray about circumstances. But if you start to pray and you try to remember the things we've said about using the Lord's Prayer as a guide and acknowledging who God is and confessing our sin and forgiving others and surrendering our will and all that, eventually you'll come to the place where you find yourself praying about your circumstances. And you should pray about circumstances. God already knows, uh, but He wants to hear it from us. But here's the danger. If, if we reduce prayer to praying about our circumstances, we will get stuck on our circumstances. You get stuck there and it's going to dominate your prayer life and it might be like 80, 90, or even 100% of your prayer life. And ultimately, if you stay there, ultimately, your circumstances will kill your prayer life because your circumstances are the only thing you ever prayed about. And, and yes, we should pray about those things. Pray about your relationships. Pray about your kids. Pray about health things. Pray about work and money and necessities. But if that's all we ever pray about, our circumstances will kill our prayer life. So what I want us to remember, and I have to remind myself this all the time because I get so tripped up on circumstances, we need to remember that God is bigger than our circumstances and God is better than our circumstances. And my life isn't just about the way that I want my life to be, the way that I see the world, you know, but that you and I, listen, are playing a part <clears throat> in a much bigger story, a kingdom that's bigger than our own, a story that God is passionate about, a story that God brought into motion, a story that God wants us to play a part in, but we'll never get to the story if all we ever pray about is our circumstances. So when it comes to prayer, how do you overcome your circumstances? How do you get your mind where your mind needs to be? How do you get your heart where your heart needs to be? Well, the Apostle Paul, in the middle of pursuing his life's calling, in the middle of doing exactly what God had called him to do, the Apostle Paul, to whom Jesus appeared in a mission, the Apostle Paul, or in a vision, I should say, and the Apostle Paul, who wrote like half the New Testament, says this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. What's so shocking about the Apostle Paul when you actually read his uh, prayers, he really doesn't pray about his circumstances. He, he's more likely to say, hey, I'm writing this from jail. He doesn't say, God, please deliver me from this terrible jail. You know, he says, I want to tell you some good news from jail. He doesn't let his circumstances you know, kind of grind him down because Paul knew and kept in the forefront of his thinking that he was working for something that circumstances could not destroy. And I'm telling you, your life takes on the greatest meaning when you are working for something circumstances cannot destroy. The early church embodied the kingdom of God. They embodied these things that we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. The church was uh, a gathering of people where others had value, where all were invited, where everyone was included, where everyone mattered because everyone mattered to God. That's the kingdom of God. And the reason that we're even here today is because Paul didn't give up in the face of difficult circumstances. 
So if you're part of the church today and you've, you've, if you've discovered new life in Christ, it's because men like Paul and Peter and James and the early church didn't let their circumstances get in the way of what God was doing in them and through them because they knew that God is bigger than their circumstances and he's better than their circumstances. So let's pray beyond our circumstances. What's that look like? Well, first of all, ask God to help you see beyond your circumstances. We spend so much time and so much emotional energy asking God to change our circumstances when perhaps what we really need to learn to do is to see what God is doing within and beyond our circumstances. Then ask God for something that the Apostle Paul uh, did ask for again and again. Ask God to help you persevere beyond your circumstances. Listen, because the greatest stories you know the most inspiring stories ever told are those stories of people who persevered against all odds to do something that was greater than just them. And then, ultimately, ask God to help you fulfill his kingdom. Not my kingdom, God. Because we all got our own little kingdoms. They pale in comparison to God's kingdom. When in doubt, remember this. God is bigger than your circumstances, and he's better than your circumstances. And if in prayer you can access this truth, your life will have more meaning. It'll have more significance. You'll know that you are part of something bigger, so much bigger than what we can see, that we're part of something that's so, more, so much more significant than our circumstances. And for whatever reason, God in his grace chooses to use us, to use you and me, and somehow life is not about my kingdom. It's all about the kingdom of God.